together. Lord God, every one of us in this room is, is living a legacy. We're going to leave behind a namesake. We're going to leave behind a story. And that story is going to be driven by the choices that we make. That story is going to be driven uh, predominantly by the way we treat other people and, and what it is we do and what we have done with your grace. So this morning, Lord, as we again open your word, as we can look to understand who it is you have remade us to be and, and how it is we nurture that reality into our own lives, I pray that you will bless us. Thank you for your grace and your goodness and the truth of your word. And now, Lord of God, speak as we, as we open to understand your truth. We ask this in the powerful and glorious name of Christ our Lord. Amen. In life, who we predominantly become, it's determined by two things, nature and nurture. Uh, those we come from, our DNA, we get a lot uh, from our family, from our, our, our parents. But a lot of what we are is also nurtured. Thanks be to God, we have a new nature in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit at salvation. We get a new heart, a new mind. Uh, we are born again. We get a new life. Uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the inspiration of the Spirit tells us that we, we are a new creation in Christ. The old has gone. The new has come. And that nature must be nurtured. Uh, you read the prayers of the apostles in their epistles as they, as they write to these churches and talk to them about how they're praying for them. You go back and look at uh, Ephesians chapter 1, 17, 18. Look at the prayer that Paul prayed for that church, that they would have the, the, the knowledge of the goodness of God, to understand His will and, and what it is He's doing in their lives in the world. And if we understand the importance that we receive and accept the nature of Christ by faith, but then we nurture that nature uh, as a family of faith. A local church is a family of faith. Understand that. Believe that. Get that. We, we are family because those of us who believe, we've been adopted into the family of God. Look what it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. So what kind of love, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. We are God's children by grace through faith in Christ alone. As we baptize these today, did you hear what I said to each one? As, as, as Aaron was baptizing his children, I said to his children, your dad is now your brother in Christ. And he baptizes you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. As this man was baptized by his wife, I said, this is your wife, she's your sister. As, as I got, the, I had the opportunity to, to baptize Christopher, I said, you're my brother. See, God makes us family, and we are a family of faith. And where there is a healthy family, there's a healthy culture. And where there are healthy churches, you will find a healthy nation. God made us all in His image. We are all members of the human race, but we were, by God's design, placed in a family to, to receive our nature but, and also to be nurtured. And so it is in the family of God. Yes, we're all members of the church, capital C. But we've been given new life in Christ with that new nature. And it's meant to be nurtured in a local family of faith. We are better together. And you cannot become what Christ saved you to be in isolation of other believers. You must be brought up in a family of faith. You must engage and be a part of what God is doing through that church. And understand, what is He doing? He is making us salt and light. If you go back and read Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and following, He says, you, you are the salt of the earth. You are a light. You are a city on a hill. Don't be hidden. He goes on to, to say, and, and, and back in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, we are exiles. 
This world is not our home, thank God. We're just passing through. But as we go through, we understand as exiles, we have a responsibility to the city where he's placed us. And we are to seek the welfare of that city. That's what the church does. The church isn't to cloister up and hide away with, with concepts and ideas and, and, and live separated from the world. We are to be salt and light in that world. We are to pray for it to seek the welfare of that city. And in so doing, we will fulfill what we've been commanded to do, 2 Corinthians, again, chapter 5, where we are told we're ambassadors. We are here with a ministry of reconciliation so that others can know the grace of God. And I'm going to tell you something. You, you cannot, you are not made to do that on your own. Me neither. We were made, having received this nature in Christ, to be nurtured within a family of faith. And we're better together for it. And we become more like Christ through the challenges and the problems and everything that happens within a church family. This is the will of God. And so we have to understand first what we are. We are children of God, formed into a family of faith. And that's what a church is. It is a family of faith. And so in our text today, we see what, what this nature God has given and how we've got to nurture it as a family of faith. We have the kind, the kind, kind nature of Christ. We are to nurture that. If you've got your Bible, I hope that you do, take it out and go to, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. If you didn't bring your Bible, that's okay. Um, take the, the Bible that's there in the pew in front of you. If you don't own one, take that one with you. We've got plenty. Feel free to use your technology. I will be. And, and go to Ephesians, chapter 4. Let's all stand together and honor God's Word. We're in verse 32. Grace Parrott is going to read for us. So, Grace, come on up, sweet girl. What she is reading is not a suggestion. What she is reading is a command. And so look in verse 32, and Grace, if you would read that for us. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The Word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Grace. If you guys would go ahead and be seated. Understand, there is a certain way God expects us to act toward one another. And, and I want you to understand that this is, this is a command. Write this down. A faith family, a local church is commanded to be kind to one another. Picture God the Father speaking from the throne room in heaven, and He is calling out to His kids in local church families, in His family. And picture what He's saying here in verse 32. Understand, He's not suggesting this. And understand, it's second person plural, and so we Southerners have the proper means by which we can translate this verse. What is God saying? What's the Father saying? Y'all be kind to each other. Have, have you ever, how many of you can remember, those of you with siblings, having your father or your mother tell you, you kids, y'all better straighten up and be nice to each other. My dad once threatened my brother and I said, if you're not going to be kind to each other, I'm going to make you kiss each other. We were never so kind to one another in all of our lives, at least while he was around, because that was gross. Do you know what God is saying? Be kind to one another. Be kind. When it comes to family love, we're not always going to agree on things. We're, we're not always going to like each other's personalities. We're not always going to understand what the other person is thinking. I mean, this morning, one of the staff members was telling me something was going on. I said, what was he thinking? You know, it's like, what? I don't understand the thoughts. That's okay. It's not my job. I can barely understand my thoughts, much less y'all's thoughts, right? But what does what the word here say? He says, look, you're not always going to agree. You're not always going to, to like the personality of the person. You're not always going to understand, but you know what? You be kind to one another. 
not asking you, God says he is telling us. And we can always do that. And boy, are we fortunate in this family of faith to have so many models of this kindness. I've seen so many husbands, and I can call out names in this room right now, that I have seen care for their wives in sickness, care for their wives in death. I've seen wives walk with their husbands through sickness and disappointments and death. I've seen parents be so kind to their children when they were suffering with sickness, walked in the hospital rooms and had mom and dad say, I, I wish it was me instead of him. I would do anything to be in their place with kindness. And now we see in our church family more and more as, as children are now taking care of their parents. I think about a man who's Father can't even remember him now. Some of you today, I know. And I want you to understand this. There's people in our church family today, they're going to go visit their parents today. And they're going to walk into the room. This person that raised them and loved them, that they had pictures with them in that room. And that parent will not even know who that child is. They won't even know who that person is. All they'll know is that they seem to love them a whole lot and they sure are kind to them. That, that is the picture of what God means for us to be the one another's family, to be kind to one another. Kindness is not complicated. It's real simple. The best way to do it, and you've heard this, is to live out the golden rule. You know this one? Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said it real clear. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You want to fulfill the, the, the great commandments of God, to love God and love other people, then treat them the way you want to be treated. It's the golden rule. And the golden rule, it demands that we refuse to treat people. Get this, please understand. We refuse to treat people based on their worst moments. Years ago, I was uh, um, a part of a, a little league baseball team. And we had a third base coach who was just loud and funny and everyone just liked him. But he had an argument going with one of the umpires. And before the game started, this third base coach got thrown out of the game. Before the game started, that's talented right there, you know? But let me tell you what happened. It's the craziest thing. The umpire tripped on third base and fell down. And he thought our coach had tripped him. The coach was talking to me. He didn't trip him. He jumped up mad and threw him out of the game. Now, this third boat based coach was pretty volatile, and I thought, I'm going to have to jump over this fence and hold him back. And you know what? He started, and then he stopped, and he said, okay, and he left. I waited a day, and I said, I, I haven't seen that one before. What trick was that you pulled? What was that about? You know what he said? He said, I know that man's family. I know what he's going through. And he didn't need something else. And so the right thing was for me just to walk away, and I'm so glad I did. There was a kindness there that existed because he understood the man. He didn't judge him based on his worst moment. He, he instead chose to look beyond that moment and to show a, a kindness, to choose to love that one who is difficult to love, choose to value people the way God values them. See, what we are in essence doing is we're being like Jesus. Write it down. To be kind to one another is to be like Jesus. God commands us. 
He says to us, his children, the Father says, be kind to one another. And then he gives us these two, in this verse, these two ways in which we do that. Look what it says. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Understand, write this one down. Tenderhearted. Jesus is tenderhearted. He's tenderhearted toward us. To be kind is to be tenderhearted. Jesus was tenderhearted towards broken people. Remember when Jesus came to Jerusalem that time, and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he's weeping over them. How I've longed to draw you, to care for you, to nurture you. In that moment, he did not treat them as the sinful creatures they were who had been acting and were acting in that moment in rebellion. Instead, look what it says in Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looked at them, and he understood. He understood that they were angry, and they were frustrated, and they were scared. They were not living under the love and the goodness of the Father from heaven. Instead, they were angry about what the Romans were doing, and they were, they were frustrated with one another and the, and, the, and the laws, and they were scared. Show me a human being who is angry, frustrated and scared, and I'll show you someone who's liable to kill or do anything. Be real careful what you say, what you say you never do. There's no end to the evil of the capacity of human being. Because when we get scared, and we get mad, and we get frustrated, we feel threatened, we do horrible things. And Jesus looked at us, and he said, they don't have a daddy. And they don't know the nurturing hand of the Father. They're angry. They're frustrated. He had compassion on them. And remember when Jesus was preaching to the masses, and they'd been with him three days, and they were hungry, and and instead of sending them away, what was he? He was was kind to them. He had compassion. Look what it says in Matthew 15, 32. Then Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling, I love this, I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Of course, the disciples say, hey, that's a great concept, Jesus. We don't have food. And I love Jesus' response. Are you kidding me? I'm God. You need, you need some food? I got it. What do you got? You got something. And we know that miracle. He multiplied the fishes and the loaves. Listen, the miracle is never the problem. The problem is always the lack of a heart for people. The hard part is not the miracle. The hard part is the willingness to be kind, to to be willing to see the people and their needs. See, the last thing most of us want to do is to see the needs of other people because we've got our own needs. The fact of the matter is, everybody in this room's got stuff. I know you look around. You say, oh, "This is living hope." These are these are great people. I mean, and by the way, you look fantastic today. All right, but here's what I know: that God knows, and you know that we know. Everybody in this room has hurts and pain and problems. And what happens many times is we get so caught up in our world that we can't see the pain and the problems of other people's worlds, and so we don't take the time to care. One of our staff guys uh, last week in one of pouring down rainstorm, he was over on Nashville Road. And he saw uh, a man walking in the pouring down rain. He noticed he had some uh, some Western Kentucky attire, and so he pulled over and, and said, "Hey, get in the car!" And the guy came to the door. He said, "I'm soaking wet, Stephen. I don't care. Get in the car. Hey, this is not safe. You're, you're going to get sick." So the guy jumps in the car. Where do you live? And he, he drives him. He said, "I'm soaking wet. I can't believe you you did this." Well, 
times now. The young man's going to be coming to his house for dinner this week. He, was, he saw the need. And rather than seeing it as a bother, he saw it as an opportunity. See, when we see people with needs, we don't need to think, oh, what a bother. We need to say, oh, what an opportunity. Did Jesus pass me by? Did Jesus look the other way when I was in need? No, no, he stepped right in. He stepped right into our world, and he was willing to, to, to be right in the midst of it. See, being tenderhearted is not being a wimp. Being tenderhearted takes strength. Because you have to actually be willing to look at what's really going on in a person's life. And you know what that takes? Emotional energy. You know what most of us are running low on these days? Emotional energy. You want to know why? Because we are not refueled regularly by the grace and the goodness of God. Not only in worship, but every single day. We need to be refueled by the grace and the goodness of God. And that is the fuel to be able to live out this command to be kind. We have to understand that when we do this, we have to we have to be willing to see people's issues from their perspective. Please under, learn this lesson. And don't say this ever again, what I've said, what you've said. When we see someone else and we say, you know what, if I were them, I would have done it this way. I'm done saying that, and here's why. Because maybe I would have done it that way, but, but I often forget that I've been discipled by multiple pastors. I've had some of the, the, the smartest men in the kingdom of God tell me truths. I have an undergraduate, graduate, and doctorate degree from people who love God and have taught me the Word of God. I've been privileged to be able to, to serve as a preacher of God's Word for 23 years. Well, no wonder I might do it a little bit different than someone who hasn't been given what I've been given. What we can't do is we cannot assume other people's lives that they've been given the gifts we've been given. A couple years ago, I was in sabbatical. And you remember I was away for the summer, and it was the best preaching this church has ever had while I was away. I know it. Uh, I don't need to be reminded. Someone asked me, hey, when are you going back out of town again? I know. Working on that. I remember during that summer, though, I had the opportunity to kind of get away, and, and not just out of town, but even in town, because Living Hope has so many ministry partners all over our city. And so I worked to go and serve in a lot of these capacities. And one of the places I went to was the bridge. And I think it still meets on Tuesday, Tuesday nights. And, and uh, I remember that night, I sat down with a man and I listened to his story, just listened to him talk. And afterward, I looked at him and I said, Friend, it's a miracle that you're even alive. He said, can I tell you the truth? There's sometimes I wish I was. It's been really easy for me to say, my goodness, why, why would you not want to wish to be alive when I have such a wonderful wife, a wonderful family, a wonderful church, and wonderful friends, and wonderful opportunities? But if I saw a life and I, all those things that I have, if they were all immediately taken from me, you know, I wonder if I might not end up in a bridge, under a bridge in Bowling Green, Kentucky, not wanting to live so we have to understand where people are from, what's going on in their lives. Not, not put them in our lives. We gotta, we gotta put ourselves in their lives. Justin Pate, uh, preacher at a Redeemer, uh, one of our campuses. By the way, if you live in the Warren East area, highly recommend Redeemer for you. If you have friends that are there, Justin is such a great preacher. In our sermon preparation this week, he said this, and this really stuck with me: Don't put a person's issue in your shoes. Put yourself in their shoes. See what we typically do. I know I do. Is I see an issue in a person's life, and I take that issue and I put it in my shoes, and I think, well, this is how it should be done right. That's not helpful. And, and actually, that's quite cowardly. You know 
what's hard to do? It's hard to step out of our shoes into their shoes and imagine a life that has experienced their intense brokenness and heartache and pain. And then look at their problem from that perspective. You might see things completely different. Aren't you so glad that God did not look down from heaven from his holy pinnacle and place and say, you know what, Pettis? If I were you, I would have lived my adolescent years a whole lot different than you did. Hey, think about your name. What, you know, God didn't say in heaven, hey, you know what? You know what you ought to have done. You know what you should be doing. You know what God did instead? He entered into our shoes, didn't he? He didn't just yell at us from heaven and tell us to straighten up, tell us what we ought to do. Instead, the gospel tells us that God entered into our shoes. See, the world was meant to be in harmony. The world is broken because of sin. But here's the gospel. Here's the good news. God entered into our shoes and lived the life we couldn't live, died for our sins. And so we will believe we get a whole new life. He did for us what he's commanding us to do for others, which is to get out of our comforts, get out of our shoes, and get into their shoes. The last thing he also commands here in the text is to be forgiven. Be forgiving. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 18. The story goes that Peter asked, how many times should I forgive, Lord? And seven times trying to show off, and Jesus said, no, an eternal amount of time, 77. And then Jesus began to tell a story in verse 23, and he said, it's like this king who had this servant who owed a lifetime of money that could be earned could never pay back the amount of money he owed to this king. But because the man begged and requested, the king showed him grace and forgave him. And then that same person, that same man who had been given, forgiven a lifetime of debt, went to a person who owed him about a week's worth of wages, what a worker would owe, and began to strangle the man and say, give me what you owe me, instead of forgiving it, he had been forgiven. And as the story goes, as Jesus told it, the king found out, and he tossed the man into prison. And then Jesus said this, and I want to, I want to encourage you to underline that. This is terrifying. It should scare you. It's meant to. In verse 35, Matthew 18. So also my heavenly Father would do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I believe in the priesthood of the believer. I believe in the perseverance of the saints. I understand the commands of God enable us by grace to be lived out. If you can't forgive, it may very well be because you've not been forgiven. You know what people are like that don't forgive? They believe that they earn their approval with God. So they, they assume that their family and all the other people in the world should, should earn their approval the way they assume that they earned it with God. They don't believe the gospel. That they think that they're smarter, that they're always right, and everybody else is wrong. They, they, they assume that they're not as bad as everyone else, and so when they're bad, they judge them. But you know what? You know what gracious, redeemed children of God do? Those of us who've been forgiven, you know what we do? We know we're saved by grace, and so we give it to others. We know that we've been wrong, and so when someone wrongs us, when someone wrongs us we don't hold against them. We, we know what it is to not always be right to have a wrong answer, to do something that's not right, and to be forgiven. And so we forgive others. This is a truism. I believe in this. It's about forgiving people. 
forgiven people are forgiving people that are free from the poison of unforgiveness. Forgiven people are forgiving people, and they're free from the poison of forgiveness. Let me tell you what unforgiveness is. It's poison. And here's how it typically works. Unforgiveness is a poison that we drink and hope that the other person gets sick. I've had people say to me, sit in my office and say, I'll never forgive him. I'll never forgive her as though that's going to somehow hurt that other person. And may it, maybe it will a little. Please understand, when you say that, you're the one drinking the poison. You're the one that's sickening your own soul. By being unwilling to forgive, you're hurting yourself. You're dishonoring God. See, a person who's been forgiven forgives. And it frees them. It frees them from the sickness that comes with unforgiveness. God, God has called us to this kindness. God has called us to, to be these kind of people. So let me ask you, who, who do you need to be showing kindness to? Who do you need to be tenderhearted toward in your family? Who is, who is it at work or at school or in your neighborhood that needs you to be tenderhearted toward them? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to give what God gave to you? Forgiveness. Give it to them. Imagine what kind of family we would be, our legacy, if we all did that. See, a church is not a building, it's people. And a church's legacy is made by the individual decisions of each member of that church. What is our legacy? Please don't don't hear me saying, like I'm giving you some kind of motivational speech, like I'm trying to put you on some kind of guilt trip. Look, I know full well I can't do this, and neither can you. But God can do it through us. See, what I'm talking about, experiencing here, supernatural. And it can only happen in the life of a person who's been filled with the Spirit of God. Galatians 5.22 tells us what, what, what's in us by the Spirit of God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. This kindness that the Scripture commands us to live out, it only happens by the power of God. And if you have not received God's love in the Gospel, if you've not received His forgiveness, if you've not experienced the tenderheartedness of Jesus in your own life, you're not going to give it to others. And if you have, you need to be giving it to everybody else. And if you're not, ask Him to do it through you. Ask for His power to be revealed through your life. Let's stand together as we pray for that. Lord God, I thank you that you command us to do the very thing that, that you have done. And the only way we can actually do it effectively is to first receive what it is you have done. And so I know some today need to receive your forgiveness. They need to receive your tender hardness towards them. And God, I know there's some who are here today and they need to come and they need to say, Lord God, 
Make me tender-hearted toward this one that's hard to love. Make me tender-hearted in this workplace, in this school, in this neighborhood, in this city. God, make me to forgive as you've forgiven me. Lord God, as we come to the altar, as we come to you today, we pray that you would do this work in us and through us to the praise of your name. Because we can't do it. We can't do it. But you can. So we ask you to do it in Jesus' name.